Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, one of Canada's preeminent ufologists, Grant Cameron, the man behind PresidentialUFOs.com. He spent decades scouring presidential libraries for UFO-related documents, and he'll weigh in on the state of UFO disclosure. He'll also reveal what Robert Bigelow and Tom DeLong are really up to. They're trying to move it away from the government. So what they do is they move it to Bigelow, private industry. And then Bigelow does the disclosure and the government is off the hook. The president can't stand up because they're going to say, well, you know, how many people did you kill? Why didn't you do? You knew there was cattle mutilations. So they moved it into private industry. But now you have Bigelow who said in an interview in 2013, if the companies get this, it's proprietary information and they own it and they should be able to use it. So he has a reason to cover it up as well. Author William J. Hall has a neat new paranormal shopping site called HallOfTheParanormal.com. Visit and get a 20% off code, a 179-page ebook, Humorous Hauntings, and a subscription to Bill's fabulous newsletter. So check it out at HallOfTheParanormal.com. That's HallOfTheParanormal.com. Hall of the paranormal.com Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres Pursuing the truth wherever it leads Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Someone uh, tweeted the other day, a regular loyal listener from Colorado. He said that he's almost 40 years old and weighs close to 300 pounds, but he can't bring himself to listen to Friday's episode in the dark by himself. That was the one with the retired corrections officer who was talking about paranormal activity at the Kentucky State Penitentiary. Uh, you know, that's cool. Uh, that's the beauty of podcasts. You can listen to them any time of the day when the sun comes up and when you have people around and then it's not so scary. No problems. I'll tell you what, what scares me, really, genuinely frightens me. Not werewolves, not vampires, not things that go bump in the night. It's the prospect of a socialist government being elected in the province of Ontario. You heard me correctly. We have a provincial election coming up on June the 7th, and the latest polls came out and show the NDP, the New Democratic Party, they're socialists, uh, they have a commanding lead, 44% in this poll, which would give them a majority government. And the conservatives, the the progressive conservative party, it was their election to lose. Their support has just, well, the floor has fallen out from under their their support. They're now down to 33%. Uh, Just one poll, hopefully it's an outlier, but I cannot imagine another four years after having gone through 15 years of this inept, corrupt, liberal government, higher taxes, carbon taxes, uh, hydro price costs through the roof. Corruption, corruption. Now we're going to go even further left and elect a socialist government? More social engineering in our schools? Higher taxes again? Yay, yay, yay. I tell you, this is, uh, is truly frightening. All right, that's my political rant for today. Now, just a reminder, coming up June 22nd to the 24th, it's the Alien Cosmic Expo, and all of the luminaries from the world of ufology will be gathering under one roof at the Toronto Airport Marriott Hotel, again, June 22nd to the 24th, and you can go to aliencosmicexpo.com for more information and tickets, and I will be there hosting a roundtable, moderating a roundtable on the 24th, the Sunday at 1.30, 
that roundtable on UFO disclosure will uh, involve Stanton Friedman, Richard Dolan, Linda Moulton Howe, Victor Vigiani, and my next guest, Grant Cameron. He is the recipient of the Leeds Conference International Researcher of the Year and the UFO Congress Researcher of the Year. He became involved in ufology just as the Vietnam War ended back in May 1975 with personal sightings of a UFO-type object which locally in Manitoba became known as Charlie Red Star. And that story, in fact, has been optioned for a movie. And these sightings led to a decade of research into the early work done by the Canadian government into the flying saucer phenomenon. And from here, Cameron proceeded to do almost three decades of research into the role of the President of the United States in the UFO mystery. He is one of the foremost authorities of on Hillary and Bill Clinton and their UFO connection. Most of that research can be found at his website, www.presidentialufo.com. And then after experiencing a mental download event on February 26 of 2012, Grant turned his research interests away from nuts and bolts research to the role of consciousness in the UFO phenomena. Uh, This new research has expanded out to the possible involvement of extraterrestrials in modern music and in the phenomena of inspirations and downloads in science discoveries, inventions, Nobel Prizes, music, art books, near-death experiences, meditation, and with individuals known as savants and prodigies. He has lectured widely in Canada, the United States, and Europe, and was one of the 40 witnesses that testified in front of six ex-senators and congressmen in Washington for the Citizens' Hearing on UFOs and Disclosure. He's appeared on many TV documentaries and uh, has been interviewed by nearly 100 radio shows, including a number of appearances on Coast to Coast AM. Grant will be speaking on the UFO Spiritual Connection, the light at the end of the tunnel at the Alien Cosmic Expo. Grant Cameron, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Just fantastic, Richard. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Let's start off talking about Alien Cosmic Expo, June 22nd, 23rd, 24th. I'm really looking forward to this. First of all, the Toronto Airport Marriott Hotel, fabulous uh, hotel, uh, wonderful facility. You're going to be speaking there on the 23rd at 1.30. Uh, what, what's your, your, your talk going to be about? Uh, well, I'm going to do um, the latest on the Disclosure Circus. I've been in the in the game of Disclosure since probably two years after I had my sighting. So in 1977, I started uh, to try to figure out who knew what was going on. Because I had a sighting in 75. I tried to get this book called Charlie Red Star published. Nobody would publish it. One publisher who should have done it said, Mr. Cameron, you may believe in this kind of stuff. Count me among the unbelievers. And I sort of just gave up on sightings. I said, you know, all I want to know is what I saw. Because I went out there, the first two nights I went out, the thing was pretty close, both nights. And I was just, I was like fell off the edge of the earth. I thought this was an unbelievable story. And so all I was interested in after this book wasn't published was somebody in this world has to know what is going on. Somebody has to know what I saw. I can't be, you know, somebody has to be sort of in the know. So I started to look and I went after the Canadian government, the work of Wilbert B. Smith in in Project Magnet between 1950 and 1954. And um, I recovered all his documents. They're at the University of uh, Ottawa. I actually have a digital copy of his entire collection. I collected all the government documents, including the famous top secret memo that said, you know, the Americans telling the Canadians in a top secret uh, communication that Flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject and all the rest of it. So I went to Canadian government. Then I went to the former president of Penn State University, who uh, had been indicated by the Canadians as being involved, worked on him, wrote a book about uh, his role. This is Uh, the guy that many you suspect was MJ-12, right? And, And talked about if you want to understand the UFO phenomena, you have to understand psychic phenomena. Yeah. He he was he he claimed in the the very first um, conversation that he had done with a guy in California in 1983. He said he was asked about the MJ-12 document. First, he was asked, "Did you go to a set of classified briefings at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base dealing with the uh, crash flying saucer and the recovery of extraterrestrial bodies?" And he said, "Yeah, I was there. So what?" And this guy sort of freaked out and he said, "I've got this MJ-12 document." 
And this is only a couple of couple of weeks after that document was released. So it was not in the press. Nobody was talking about the MJ-12 or the document. Um, and he said, I've known of them for 40 years. So it wasn't that he was MJ-12, but he knew all the ah, players. He had right. been there. He was in World War II. What they used to do in World War II is they had what was called um, dollar-a-year men. So they would bring these people in from a high-level academic circles in uh, various universities. Walker himself was at Harvard University. And they would bring them in. Instead of sending them to war with a gun, they would uh, hire them for a dollar a year. And these guys would work on all sorts of secret technology. So Walker co-developed the homing torpedo during World War II. After the war, they gave him uh, a Navy lab at Penn State University, studying torpedoes and all this kind of stuff and submarines. And so he he knew what was going on. He had known all the players, Vannevar Bush. It was all the guys from World War II, all the guys that were working on the weapons that were all brought in to work on the UFO problem. So he knew all the all the players. And he wouldn't really tell us that much. He would talk in rhymes and riddles. And um, we published the book on him, and then he died. And I was looking for his files, and, I, and he indicated that some of his files were going to the Truman Library. And that's when I got on the whole thing about when I was at the Truman Library looking for Walker's documents. That's when I said, well... The president's got to know what's going on. I mean, I want this answer. Somebody's got to know what's going on here. The president is the most powerful guy in the world, supposedly. What does the president know? And that's when I asked the Truman Library. I said, what do we got on UFOs? What, what, did the pre what are the documents on? And they had a few documents about uh, the 1952 overflight, uh, all these telegrams that came in telling uh, Truman don't, shut, don't shoot him down because there was this shoot him down order that, that was given out. And they had that. They had a little bit. And I'm thinking, well, that's, you know, that's not much. But I uh, knew that the Eisenhower Library is just down the road, maybe a couple hours west of there. So I went to the Eisenhower Library. And that's when they told me out of 28 million pages of files, they only had five documents. And then I was thinking something's wrong here. I mean, the president's got to know. I mean, they, they have to be telling the president what's going on here. And that's led to this search, which I guess went on for 25 years where I was chasing around uh, the president of the United States. And basically, I'm looking for the disclosure thing. And then I had the download experience, which sort of got me off the disclosure thing. And um, explain, the, explain that, the, the, the download. Well, I have the, in 2012, I'm, I'm at a lecture in, at, uh, if you've ever been to UFO Congress, the big lecture yes. The big yes. event in Phoenix. And it goes from like 8 o'clock in the morning till about 11 o'clock at night. And again, at that time, I think it was going for about seven days. So it was the type of thing where you don't go to every lecture. You decide, okay, we're gonna. I want to talk to this person. I want to do an interview or whatever. So you look at the lectures and you pick and choose. I'm going to go to this one. I'm not going to go to that one. And uh, Colin Andrews, the famous crop circle guy, was lecturing, and I had no interest in crop circles whatsoever. And yet I realized he was a prominent figure. Maybe I should go watch him. And I'm, I'm sort of undecided. So I wander in the room and I'm sitting in the room and I'm, I'm sort of thinking about, well, maybe I should go across the river to the library. I mean, I, was, I just was not interested in what was going on there. And that's when I had this what I, uh, download experience, which was items that I had, um, I had gathered. It wasn't that anything new came into my head. It was things I'd gathered. And what it did was took three pieces of a puzzle and just put them together and it came uh, with absolute certainty, which is the hardest thing to explain to people. There was, you don't have to check this. This is how it works. And one of them was the famous top secret memo that I referred to earlier, where uh, the Canadians are told by the Americans, Wilbur Smith writes in the top secret memo, he said, we were also informed by American officials, not people on the street, American officials, that other things might be associated with the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. And the Americans aren't doing very well because they say if we're working on it, they're willing to work with us. So in 1950 already, the American government knew that the mental phenomena was involved in the in the flying saucer phenomena. And that's important because in 1950, there was nobody talking to aliens. Now we know through abductees that aliens are telepathic. Uh, in 1952, two years after that memo was written, uh, a couple days after the detonation of the hydrogen bomb, that's when Williams and Adamski would come forward. So the first contactees would not come forward till two years later. So the question was, how did the Americans know in 1950 that mental phenomena might be involved? Because all there was in 1950 was just a bunch of things flying around. There was no aliens. Nobody's talking to aliens. They weren't landing. There was nothing, that kind of stuff. And so that came into my head. 
Then there was the statement that Dr. Eric Walker had made in 1991, where we're asking about the MJ-12 group. And we're saying, I mean, is it just 12 people? Is there more than 12 people? Is it all Americans? Or is this now an international group? And the guy that was interviewing him from Great Britain, he cuts him off and he says, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And the guy really didn't have an answer, and it didn't make any sense. Like, why is he talking about ESP? And Walker said, look, unless you understand about ESP and how it works, you will not be taken into the control group. Very few people understand how it works. And then two years after that, that's when Ben Rich makes this famous uh, speech at UCLA alumni, the engineering alumni at UCLA in 1993. And at the end of the lecture, he said, we now have the technology to take ET home. We've discovered the mistake in the equation. It's not going to take a lifetime to do, but it's going to take an act of God to get this thing out of Congress because it's so deep black. And Jan Hartson, the international director for MUFON, who had had an experience when he was about nine years old in the backyard with a flying saucer sitting there, uh, had become fascinated, almost like me. You go down the rabbit hole, you can't get out of it. He was fascinated with UFO propulsion, becomes an electrical engineer. He and his brother are trying to build a flying saucer, and his whole life is fascinated with this idea of, of propulsion. So he realizes this is his chance. As Ben Rich is leaving the building, he chases after him, and he said, Ben, I need to know. I've been fascinated my whole life. How do they get here? How does the propulsion system work? And Ben turned around and said exactly what Walker said two years before. He said, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? Uh-huh. And, and that's when Jan said, well, he didn't really – he said, I didn't expect a question. So I said, well, it means everything in time and space is connected. And Ben said, that's how it works, gets in his car and drives away. Hmm. So I had that download experience and I moved on to uh, the whole idea of consciousness, which I absolutely maintain is the key. It's it, You're never going to figure this thing out unless well, you… Let me just circle back to your, your download. How, do, how does your download compare, let's say, to Jim Penniston's at Rendlesham when he got you know, the, the binary code download after he touched that craft? Is there a connection? Is it the same sort of thing? Yeah, it's the same. What I, I wrote a book called Inspired, where I look at d- downloads, all various types, musical downloads, uh, art downloads, Nobel Prizes, uh, scientific inventions, and it's all the same thing. What I say is happening. What happened with me with Colin Andrews is it's the ability to dissociate. So I'm in the lecture. I don't really want to be there. And I go into like a state of meditation. So you can do this by uh, meditation, hypnosis, psychedelics, uh, brain injury, uh, there's all sorts of ways that you can do this drumming, dancing, where you can disassociate. And what you're doing is you're basically shutting down the left brain ego mind. And that's what you're doing in hypnosis. You're quieting that part of the brain and the right brain is the one that's in contact with the universe and it can tap in. So you have situations I always explain, like with a medium, uh, there's a story, a, te- a study that was done with mediums that showed that a lot of mediums have childhood abuse issues. And so what you have there is you have a, a little girl, say, who is being abused in some sort of way, and she's trying to shut out the physical world. And as she does, she disassociates, and suddenly she's talking to her dead grandmother. That's how, that's how MKUltra worked in the beginning, right? It was yeah, and that's trauma, tra- mass it, trauma. Sure, that's why that, and you got to take a look at the MK Ultra. Starts in McGill University, sixty miles or two hours down the road from Ottawa. Uh, Wilbur Smith is working on this. The M, the famous uh, uh, top secret document that talks about mental phenomena uh, was written six months before MK Ultra started. So what I say, and and it was done at McGill. And what I say is that it wasn't that they wanted to drug people and torture people and stuff. They knew. That consciousness was involved and they realized that they had to figure this out because the whole thing was in 1950, how did the Americans know that mental phenomena was involved? If you go back now, we now know about Roswell and we know there's a good chance that they had a live alien at Roswell. And the people that reported that said the alien was talking in their heads. So if you're looking at this thing as an intelligence or a military guy and you suddenly see this alien talking in people's heads, you go like, wow, would we love to have this? And so that's why they, I think they worked on the MK Ultra. It was to try to figure out how can you talk in someone's head because they knew it could be done and they knew you could read people's minds. So it was this ultimate uh, – weapon uh, potential of of the psychic phenomena and that's where you have this direct connection it was only six months before and then suddenly down the road from where wilbur smith writes this memo suddenly they start this this whole thing of trying to unlock consciousness well that's interesting the the mk ultra connection because when we think about the lsd 
uh, experiments at, uh, well, all over in college campuses, particularly, you know, Harvard and, and Yale. Uh, bef- when, when, before Yale was co-ed, they were doing these, uh, LSD experiments with voluntary subjects. We had, yeah. we had people like, uh, Ken Kesey, uh, who volunteered at, um, I guess it was a VA hospital that was associated with Stanford. Yeah. Uh, did they ever, cause I know you've talked about, you know, the, the connection with, with, uh, downloads and musical artists and so forth. Did Kesey ever talk about, a telepathic communication or, um, let's say a guy like Owsley Stanley, who was the acid king who provided all of the LSD for the Kool-Aid acid tests. Did they ever talk about that? Um, I'm not sure about those examples, but I know that, that there was a lot of testing done with LSD and I know that, um, even now they're starting to do it again. It's back on the thing. John Hopkins is working with psilocybin, uh, NYU is doing experiments with, uh, psilocybin and some of them are doing the LSD because it's the same thing. They realize that you can open up these, these sort of gateways, and um, they were using LSD back in the 1950s. Hewlett Packard uh, was using LSD with engineers for creativity. They would put uh, all these Hewlett Packard engineers in a room. And the guy, and his name always escapes me, he's the guy who actually came up with the invention of the computer in 1959. He gets a download, and he's the guy that does the very famous test at, at Berkeley in 1967, where they've got the screen set up, where they're interacting on this computer, and, and the, they've got the monitor and all this kind of stuff and the, and the mouse he's the guy that invented the the computer mouse and he was in this room and they they tell the story that um that they were doing this uh, for creativity and the first time that he took lsd uh he just sat there and stared at the wall so the the next night they were doing it again and they tried to avoid him and um he actually came up with an invention which was kind of interesting he came up with an invention called the tinkle toy and it was a little plastic water wheel and um, he, well, what it was was you take the little water wheel and you put it in the toilet, and then you tell your little two-year-old boy, make the water, make the water wheel spin. And and this is what he came up under LSD. So they were doing a lot of this stuff. And as I said, they now it's starting to do this kind of stuff. They're taking um, like for uh, drug addiction, for yes. uh, smoking at, at John Hopkins. And they're also doing these things with meditation. So what they're doing is they're taking people who have never done any psychedelics and they're giving them high dose psilocybin to see what it, what kind of uh, results do you get from right. meditating under these conditions. And end so, of life anxiety. It's They're, they're using yeah, it for, for that yeah. as well. So that's the thing. The, People have realized and that, but the thing was, we're starting to realize this now that there that has these potentials. But back in the early fifties, it was all very top secret. People really didn't uh, know the connection. It, it looked like you know people just wanted to do drugs or whatever. But I'm sure there was people in there who realized, the, uh, even with the some of the experiments where they talked about where they would, you know, with these torture these little kids, these uh, sort of the feed off their energy and stuff like that there was all this kind of stuff that now when you look back on this stuff you realize that they knew some inside stuff and they were i mean you can't really now you can get volunteers to do it but back then it wasn't something you can get volunteers so you got to do it some way and that's where they would use the troops to do it and the problem with the troops was that once they did the the lsd and stuff then they didn't want to go to war anymore and they had these sort of problems but uh, the the consciousness thing the government has been on this thing as i said since 1950 and when i describe um the the cia uh, the stories that I've heard is it's called phenomenology. So if you take a look at uh, Ron Pendolfi, who runs the they call the Weird Desk at the yes. CIA, yes. it's not just UFOs. It's psychic phenomena. It's remote viewing. It's all the same thing. It's it's everything is consciousness, and you have the higher level of consciousness is what we're dealing with when we're dealing with with aliens. They are just able. They know these sort of more subtle. Uh, parts of consciousness and they're they're able to move in and out become physical turn into a ball of light go back and forth and we think it's a physical world we think it's all just solid and and these kind of things and even with the near-death experiences we're starting to realize like with near-death experiences because we brought the cpr suddenly people started to be brought back from death yes we realized there was that component and uh there's a, a bunch of the quantum physics thing where we do the dual slit experiment we start start to realize you know the observer is is changing uh the physical world these kind of things that as we develop technology and our scientific understanding we start to realize that these actual sort of non-physical aspects 
of life actually exists. And so can you can you break it down? Then are you able to break it down? How th- this this relates to propulsion and how these craft are able to first of all are they to your mind are they extraterrestrial or they are are they interdimensional well i would um if if you look at the thing with um uh ben rich asking the question and and getting the answer everything in time and space is connected um i used to think it was et then i think there's like like a physical component to an et component but it's the whole idea if there's no time and space then it's like the Eastern mysticism thing. It's all here. It's all one thing. There is no out there, out there. It's all one thing. It's all uh, aspects of the same thing. There is no world without your consciousness. It gets into that really weird sort of thing that um, it's, especially the, the no time and space thing. And, you know, we're starting to understand that we've got some serious, you know, if you take a look at the experiment with the the uh, entangled particles, there's some serious problems when you can change the spin of an electron on one side of the universe right. and an electron on the other side will completely instantaneously change. There's something wrong with our concepts of time and space. So I would say when I break it down, what I say is um, I really don't know yet, but I say that what's you're going to find out in the end that the UFO phenomena is going to be a lot less physical than you think it is, and it's going to be a lot more spiritual than people think it is. Ah, and that, a yes. lot of people are not going to be happy with that. Well, that was my next question, because it sounds like when you're talking about you know, able to flit in and out of reality, that does sound very much like a spiritual being. I mean, are you comfortable even using terms like angelic? Well, I think it's all the same. It's the same thing. That John Mack, there was a there was a famous debate that took place between John Mack and Bud Hopkins at Boston, and it's on the internet. People can see it. And at one point, um, Bud Hopkins says to John Mack, he says, "John, he says it's kind of unusual. He says it's kind of strange. How is it that I get all the bad ones, and you get all the good spiritual ones?" And then, you know, Mack, he's so d- distinguished. He looks at him. He goes, "Well, Bud." Perhaps that has more to do with you and I than it does with the aliens. Mm -hmm. And John Mack actually had this idea. uh, He started to develop this idea that perhaps the alien that you actually manifest is based upon your personality. So if you have, if you bring in grays, you have a certain personality that brings in grays. Or uh, reptilian, you have a reptilian type personality, uh, high in- interest in sex, and and very highly active and stuff like that. And it almost comes back down to the same thing as near death experiences. Why do some people have good near death experiences and some people have bad near death experiences? Are there actually bad near death experiences, or is the mind manifesting this thing? And that's the, the component that I think people have to uh, sort of bring in there is the fact that our minds are influencing this thing and there's actually an interesting story i just had on my facebook which you'll eventually see this will go viral when this guy's identity this is a very very high level person in hollywood extremely high level we're hiding his name right now he wants to keep it away it's his parents very very powerful powerful people in hollywood and he's a full-blown experiencer and he started to contact me about um Six months ago, he had these UFOs around the house. Uh, they were here all the time, and I really didn't know what to make of the story. I mean, is this guy making this up? Uh, he told he identified who he was, who his mother was, who his father was, and I went, "Wow!" I could, I just couldn't believe that this high level of guy uh, was involved. And so he says he's thinking to himself, "Am I crazy? What's going on here? All this stuff's happening around him all the time, starting in September of last year." And so he asked the the aliens, or the, the whatever's in contact with him, he said, put something in my head that I don't know. And he said the word biocentrism pops into his head. And so he goes and looks it up. And uh, it is basically what I've been saying, this whole consciousness thing. Life creates the universe. The universe does not create life. And there's these two books written by Robert Lanza, MD, uh, uh, Biocentrism and... Uh, beyond biocentrism and if you read these books that is what i think it's, it's going to turn out to be is that life is central life is uh, uh, uh life which is consciousness is building the world and so that would be the bottom line that there may be an et component there may be an angelic component that they can sort of come like i'm doing a lecture at um that 
shortly that goes in the alien disclosure plan. So if you look at at UFO sightings in 1890, it's wooden ships with propellers on them. Yes, yes. And, and then it goes to Foo Fighters in World War II, and then they go away, and then the green fireballs come, then they go away, and then you have the Adamski crafts with the balls under them, and they go away. Then you have the flying saucers, then they go away. Then you have uh, the crop circles start. You have the, the ground traces, which are going, and then the ground traces stop. There hasn't been a ground trace case for 20 years. Then you have the connection with Sasquatch. You had you had some of those in the Charlie Red Star case. In, in, yeah, in, and, and, in, and that, that, that really nailed it to me because people are always looking for Sasquatches hiding in forests. And I said, we had the one outside of Portage of Prairie, outside of Winnipeg. And I said, this it was a nine-foot being or whatever it was. And I said, if you've ever been to Winnipeg, if you've ever been to the prairies, you know there's no size Sasquatch hiding here because there's like one tree per mile. There's no way it's going to hide. Right. And what I was shown by the, the tracker who tracked this thing down the down the river into this little grove of trees where the broken branches and stuff, and it goes into the middle of the clearing. It's in a, a snow event. And he said the footprints go into the middle of this clearing, and then they don't come back. They just go into the clearing. And that almost – so that's 1975. I immediately knew that this was almost like a UFO that drops off the Sasquatch to go for a – you know, to, to go to the bathroom or just dropping it off and picking it back up again, that this uh, – all fits together. It's all the same thing. And that even the Sasquatch is going to turn out to be a lot less physical than you think it is. You know, I'm inclined to agree. I think we are dealing with a spiritual phenomenon here. I can't say for certain that dogs, for example, will go to heaven. I certainly hope so. I love dogs. Wherever they go, that's where I'd like to go in the end. Now, if your dog is no angel, how would you like to learn to develop your dog's hidden intelligence to eliminate bad behavior and create the obedient, well-behaved pet of your dreams? A woman named Adrian Ferricelli, a professional certified dog trainer, has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out the hidden intelligence inside the dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. Our brains are capable of learning new behaviors because of neuroplasticity. Well, your dog's brain has this same plasticity, and with the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. And when this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So, if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com. Realbusinessbargains.com. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess you better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Grant Cameron is here, the founder of PresidentialUFO.com. It almost seems like where you're headed, uh, not to put words in your mouth, is terms like E.T. and alien just don't cut it anymore. Maybe we should stop using them. Maybe we should stop using those terms. Yeah, I, I usually use the, the, uh, the term the intelligence behind the phenomena. It is very intelligent and it is very aware. If you take a look at uh, one of the components, because one of the problems we have, and I've, I'm starting to describe this in my lectures, is that we want to use the scientific method. So we say, okay, we've got to measure this, we've got to feel it, we've got to touch it. Uh, you know, it, there's no proof unless you can uh, actually reproduce it in a laboratory. And um, if you start looking at the people who've actually worked on the phenomena, and I'll give you an example, Bob Bigelow. Mm-hmm. who is the guy who now controls basically all the data from 2007 on. Right. Uh, there was all this ATIP program stuff. That's all in his control now. Um, he, he's a guy who a lot of people knew he put a lot of money in UFOs. What people always forget is that he put $3.7 million into a chair at the University of Las Vegas, Nevada for consciousness studies. He bought the, the, the famous Skinwalker Ranch that everybody's mm-hmm, heard about right. Skinwalker Ranch. And one of the reasons that I uh, heard that he sold the ranch is because they could not discover anything. That, as, as John Alexander, who worked on the, on the program, said, not only did the phenomena know what we were doing, it knew what we were about to do. And we could not do anything. We could not track it. We could not film it. It would do whatever it wanted to do, and we couldn't do anything. And then you take a look at the example that the guy who's running the To the Stars Academy, this Tom DeLong operator, yes, yes. 
is this high-level CIA guy. And he writes a forward to Tom DeLonge's book, and he sums it all up. He says, and he, this is a guy who had the beings in his room in the early 1990s when he was a, a guy running covert ops for the U.S. CIA. He said his idea of reality was shattered when that experience took place. And he said the idea that we can measure this thing is laughable. How do you define something where there does not appear to be any there there? Right. This has got to do with consciousness. This has got to do with multidimensionality beyond the present understanding of our science. So and that would basically sum it up. So then there are a lot of people in, in ufology, a lot of people who will be coming to Alien Cosmic Expo uh, who are still thinking – I guess in a more linear manner, that these yeah. are an advanced extraterrestrials, technologically advanced, they have propulsion systems, they have the key to free energy, we need to get our hands on it, somebody may already have their hands on it. Is that wishful thinking? Because if we're talking about a, maybe what is far more a spiritual being rather than a material, mechanistic uh, thing. It's not tangible. It's not like you can put your hands on it. Uh, are we wasting our time thinking about, you know, this is the answer to free energy? I would say yes, that, that it is. It's sort of a dead end uh, road, although I will concede that they may have developed stuff because you hear the stories about Area 51, uh, stuff Tom DeLong was, was told that they may have um, unraveled some of the technology. Because it would make sense that there's no way that they're going to let this thing drop. I mean, this this is the ultimate. Whoever controls this controls the world. So I'm sure they've they've worked on those kind of stuff. I have some sympathy for that situation of, of the free energy stuff because I was there. Until I had the download experience, I was exactly where these people are. I, I just say that um, in the end um, – it's going to be sort of like waiting for Santa Claus. Like we've sort of uh, put it like we're confusing aliens with Santa Claus. They're here to bring us some stuff. They're here to just give us the free energy stuff and then get lost, leave us alone. And um, in the end, um, it's basically still what we, we do because we can take this energy and we can uh, – all energy is free, whether it's nuclear, uh, you know, uh, hydro or whatever it is, but it's going to cost you to produce it. Somebody's going to still run the, the show and that the energy that, that it seems to be involved with this is going to make nuclear energy look, look like matchsticks. So to me, I look at it and say, you know, if they give us the, um, the technology – uh, I think it's David Bohm described the fact that we are like the we are like a locust a, a swarm of locusts that have descended upon the earth. And I would say that perhaps if they give us the technology, uh, we're just going to strip the leaves at two or three times the rate we're doing it right now. We're just it's not so much a matter of we need some energy. It's people are want uh, to get the economy moving at ten percent rather than two percent, and we're just basically you know using up the resources. And so that may be why. They have not landed. So I, I, when I do the disclosure thing, I say there are two different disclosures. There is an alien disclosure and then there is a, um, um, uh, a government disclosure. And both may be trying to just raise consciousness. Because if you are an alien, if you want to disclose, you can land on the White House lawn anytime you want and tell us what's going on. So they're not disclosing. And yet they are not covering up. Because if, if the, the, the UFOs... Uh, can turn off their lights. We don't have lights on our craft. They have all sorts of bizarre types of lights. And I say, why do UFOs have lights on them? Right. So you can Here see I am. That. Here if I am. You, yeah. If you see a UFO, you're part of the game. They want, it's not a random event. They don't, they, they are doing this. So they're doing something in between. They're not disclosing and they're not covering up. So they're doing this, this sort of a gradual raise the consciousness. And a lot of the stuff, even I, I've made reference to if you've seen the latest um, lecture by Jacques Vallée, he goes through all this metal stuff. Uh, it, throughout history, there's been these stories about UFOs that that pretend like they're the the, the um, bird with the broken wing that's trying to get you away from the nest, yes. and the UFO is looking it's going to crash, and it's flipping around, and and it gets the attention of of these people, and they're watching. Oh my goodness, this UFO is going to crash! Look at this, and it's it looks like it's about to crash on the ground, and it's flipping around or whatever, and all of a sudden, two UFOs will come in and stabilize the UFO. Then it'll shoot out this molten metal and then fly away 
And it, it, there's like 20 cases, at least in history, of this exact event happening where it looks like the UFO is going to crash. It throws out this metal and people have gathered all this metal. So throughout history, people have taken the metal and, and the analysis, oh, it's just slag. It's just aluminum. It's just this. It's But now we have the technology to actually look at this. And if you look at Jacques Vallée's analysis of this stuff, you have these very, very bizarre isotope things, basically like what they call the metamaterials. This is not built on Earth. We do not have the technology to make the kind of metal that right. has been shot out by these UFOs. What does the Bigelow key- have in his possession, do you think? Well, I think he has he has a lot because Bigelow, you got to remember, Bigelow has been buying up stuff uh, endlessly through, uh, through the last 40 years. So he would have – he put all the money up for Roger Lear for the implant research and um so he would have all all the implants uh jacques valet has uh been working with him so i'm sure uh all this he has access to all this material why don't they open source it let us look at it well because it's if you listen to an interview bob bigelow did in 2013 um and this is what i'm complaining about the tom DeLong operation they're sort of going after me and saying well you know i'm i am i am not read in on, on the to the stars program and therefore i'm getting stuff messed up and i have best intentions but you know i don't really know what the heck i'm talking about and so it's different levels of secrecy so if you have the military they are the defense guys so they're they're accessing the material and all they're interested in is let's build weapons out of this or let's build defense weapons to stop it if the Russians get this technology. That's all they're interested in is 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 military in weapon stuff. So then they move it and I think what they've done now is they've moved it out they're trying to move it away from the government. So what they do is they move it to Bigelow, private industry and then Bigelow does the disclosure and the government is off the hook because it's always been the thing is like the, the president can't stand up because they're going to say, well, you know, how many people did you kill? Why didn't you do? You knew there was cattle mutilations. So they moved it into private industry. But now you have Bigelow who said in an interview in 2013, if if the the the, the companies get this, it's proprietary information and they own it and they should be able to use it. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to build spacecraft things for business so he's making money out of the business thing so he has a reason to cover it up as well and there's always a, a a thing that it'd be very interesting to give it to us whatever but that's not why bob bigelow is doing it to give it to us he's doing it because he's in right. the space industry it reminds me of Gollum and the ring yeah you know whoever gra- you know when yeah. when the hobbit uh, when frodo grabbed the uh, the ring he becomes absolutely corrupted yeah uh and so it's like whoever touches this stuff becomes Part of the, part of the the secret, part of the secrecy. They're they're now they're keeping the lid on the secret. Yeah, yeah, and that's the, that's the thing. Like they start with good intentions, but when you get it, then you suddenly realize. Yeah, I mean, and this is the. I always tell people if you realize what's going on and the significance to how this terms it fits into reality. This is the Super Bowl of all stories. There is no bigger story than this one. And so when people see it, they suddenly it's the sort of the capitalist uh, Western view of the world is um, we, we want to be famous. We want to be rich. We want to we want to control all this kind of stuff. And I think the basic message um, coming from the, the beings is exactly the opposite message. It's the oneness message. Fifty four percent of all experiencers are talked to about oneness and love. This idea that 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 everything is everybody's connected, everybody one and then the idea that that is really going to go against the grain i think in western society is we have this idea you know freedom democracy uh everybody can be as as rich as they want and then you start looking at the beings that are flying around in these crafts and you see really nothing that's material at all i mean there's no chandeliers there's no designer clothes uh there's nothing i mean they, they everybody's equal there's no rich aliens poor aliens from what we can see and that is not going to go over well in in especially uh united states of america where suddenly uh, everybody's going to be equal everybody's going to be the same uh everybody's going to have a place to live uh we're all just going to do jobs and it's almost like a communist society and if you remember back to the days of adamski one of the reasons the fbi was chasing adamski around was because they thought he was a communist spy because the message is basically like a socialist thing where everybody's equal everybody's one uh the the you you put into the the uh society what you can contribute take a, take out only what you need the uh, the american idea of capitalism is you put in as little as you can you pay as little taxes as you can and you take out as much as you can you try to be well no that's a, that's a perverse and a, a perverse view of capitalism that's certainly not oh. the way it, it i mean it that may 
be a certain percentage practicing it that way, but I mean, but I, it is the concept. Like you, you basically, it's 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 your job to pay as little tax so you get an accountant. You 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 use every tax break you can. Is that well, that's of, that's that the concept, super. Yeah, that's, that's crony capital. That's crony did. capitalism. That's not yeah. true capitalism. Um, but but the problem with you know as we see with with not to get into a political debate here, but I, I don't know that socialism is what we'd be witnessing. I mean, particularly if there's a spiritual aspect, because socialists and communists are materialistic. I mean, they would absolutely eschew that that uh, any spiritual. Um, any spiritual aspect to um, to life, the, the socialist and the communist. I mean, spiritualism okay, is their is their it would be their sworn enemy. Yeah. Okay, I understand that. I mean, you know, the the uh, the opiate of the people and all that kind of stuff. Right. But that's the the idea, and, and that's why we're not getting anywhere in the the the, the parapsychology world or the the um, the UFO world. And that was described in a in a speech given by uh, Ingo Swan, who said the idea of the materialism, why parapsychology didn't get anywhere, was because they adopted this this Engels Marx thing that there is only matter, and it's right. done by the scientific method, and the scientific method is based upon the idea that the world is physical. Right. And and if you don't get off that thing about the 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 physical thing you're never going to figure it out and that's why he said parapsychology didn't go anywhere and that's why I say ufology is not we've done it for 70 years we've sat there and I that's why I say about the videos you can watch all the to the stars videos you want you can watch them for the next 70 years it is never going to solve it you can look at the the hypothetical reports on space propulsion it's not until you actually talk to the experiencers who are interacting with the with the intelligence that they're going to start talking about uh, all these sort of concepts about uh, how the world works 100% yeah, they're looking for a physical answer to a spiritual riddle. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Just to put kind of a button on that, our, our previous discussion. To me, I mean, when you talk about this technology, this advanced technology that they have, uh, I mean, it, it just seems like they're they're just beyond things like even economics. Because I mean. If we think about the concept of heaven, you know, there's no socialism, there's no capitalism, there's no want, there's no hunger, there's no pain. Uh, it's just because it's b- both capitalism and socialism are sort of mired in a physical world, right? They're yeah. above, they're beyond that. It, I mean, yeah, those I, terms don't even those terms don't even relate to where they're at. Yeah, their 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 concept almost goes to like a, a mystical Eastern tradition that we are just all, as Ronald Reagan said, we are all just God's children. We are mm-hmm. just all sure. souls that are reincarn- reincarnating and that there's really nothing physical. Right. That you come into this physical lower sort of dimension to learn lessons, but that the the basic structure of the universe is not physical. It, it has all these different uh, sort of densities or frequencies or whatever, and that we're just in this frequency and believe this is all that there is. That it's it's going to be more like a, an Eastern, almost everything I see talking about, when, when you listen to experiencers and what they're being told, it's very sort of Eastern mysticism, uh, consciousness is uh, controls, uh, the physical world is an illusion, all this kind of stuff. That's where it's starting to go. This is going to be quite a talk <laughs> that you're going to give at the Alien Cosmic Expo, and you're speaking on the Saturday. That's June the 23rd at 1.30 p.m., and that's at the Toronto Airport Marriott Hotel. Uh, and you're also on the roundtable, correct? Yes. That's on the Sunday, and I'll be uh, moderating that, so I'll get to uh, to see you again in person. And uh, again, people can get tickets and more information at aliencosmicexpo.com. And just, I want to give a, a quick uh, plug to the book Managing Magic, the government's UFO disclosure plan. Uh, that's the latest, right? Uh, no, actually, no? Tuned In is my latest. Ah, uh, sorry. I, I write a book on... Um, uh, the the bizarre connection between um, music, especially rock musicians and UFOs, and then I look at all the download experiences. People, musicians, have got songs in dreams, songs in five minutes. I look at that whole consciousness aspect. To mo- most musicians are, I think, be connected to UFOs because most musicians are right brain creative people, and most experiencers are right brain creative people, and that's what it is. It's be able to shut down the ego mind and use the right brain to activate 
to disassociate and tap into this higher level of consciousness. So I, I did the one with the uh, with the, the musicians uh, last, but the the uh, the big topic now is the managing magic. That's the whole thing with uh, all these various people running around. The government is leaking stuff, and what I say in managing magic is they've been doing this for seventy years. When Tom DeLonge came forward, as soon as I saw it, I said. They're doing it again. And that's what Managing Magic is. I go through 1947, I start, and I go year by year, and I show you they've been doing this same gradual disclosure thing for 70 years now. This is only the latest rendition of, of what's been going on before. Grant, can't wait to uh, to see you again at the Alien Cosmic Expo. And um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Richard. I really appreciate it. Great job, Grant Cameron. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to give you the deets on episode 72 of Conspiracy Unlimited. Just ahead of that, hey, if you own a business or you've dreamed of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost everything anything a lot easier. Just visit freebusinesstoolbox.com and grab your copy. Now, I know there are a lot of websites out there. They offer you a special deal on something and then they turn around and stick you in some annoying recurring program. This isn't like that. There is no hidden thing to try. Brightbiz is simply giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting their best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end. So don't wait. Grab your free guide today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com. That's freebusinesstoolbox.com. Coming up on episode 72 of Conspiracy Unlimited, In Pursuit of Enlightenment with Thomas Rosetto. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.